Today in Science from Wired. If you like speed running the newest release or binging every episode the second it drops, then why are you waiting for all your news? Check out IGN's updated games and entertainment news podcast. We're dropping new episodes in your feed all day to keep you up to date the minute there's a new announcement. Find IGN Games and Entertainment News wherever you listen. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Here's today's spoken edition of Wired. In the courtroom, climate science needs substance and style by Adam Rogers. Chevron would like you to know that it believes in climate change. It also believes people cause it by burning carbon-based fuel, the kind Chevron extracts from the ground, refines, and sells. In fact, Chevron believes all this so hard that today its lawyer said so in a federal court in San Francisco. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change? Yep, they're right. That's not as up is down as it might sound. Chevron representatives have said as much before. The follow-up questions, though, will be the tricky part, because what was at stake in that courtroom was not whether the effects of climate change, sea level rise, ocean acidification, weather extremes, wildfires, disease outbreaks, are people's fault. It was whether a lawsuit could show that specific effects, floods, are specific people's fault, specifically the people at Chevron. And BP and ExxonMobil because San Francisco and Oakland are suing those companies for money to build seawalls and other protective infrastructure. The idea isn't just that petrochemical transnationals extract, produce, and sell the fuel that puts carbon into the atmosphere. It's that they knew that was bad, kept doing it anyway, and cut ads and marketing that tried to convince people it wasn't a problem. But before they could really dig into that... The judge in the case, William Alsop, asked for what he termed a tutorial. On March 6th, he sent the lawyers on both sides a list of nine questions digging into the basic history and science of climate change. Number two, what is the molecular difference by which CO2 absorbs infrared radiation but oxygen and nitrogen do not? With a special eye on sea level rise, which is as odd as it sounds. Outside the usual procedural kabuki of the courtroom... The truth is, no one really knew what to expect from this court-ordered tutorial. For a culture based in large measure on precedent, putting counsel and experts in a room to hash out climate change for a trial, putting everyone on the record, in federal court, on what is and is not true about climate science, was literally unprecedented. What Alsup got might not have been a full-on PowerPoint-powered preview of the trial, but it did reveal a lot about the styles and conflicts inherent in the people who produce the carbon and the people who study it. 
The other petrochemists put forth Theodore Boutros, an AC-130 gunship of a lawyer who, among other things, got the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the California law against same-sex marriage. Here, retained specifically by Chevron, Boutros argued what seemed to be climate change's chapter and verse. He extolled the virtues of the several IPCC reports, 2013 most recently, and quoted them liberally. Boutros talked about how the report's conclusions have gotten more and more sure-footed about anthropogenic causes of climate change, its people, and outcomes like sea level rise. From Chevron's perspective, there is no debate about climate science, Boutros said. Chevron accepts what this scientific body, scientists and others, what the IPCC has reached consensus on. Still, over the course of the morning, Boutros nevertheless tried to nag the IPCC in two specific ways. One was a classic. He challenged the models that climate scientists use to attempt to predict the future. These computer models, Boutros said, are increasingly complex. That can make the modeling more powerful. But with great power comes great potential wrongness. Because it's an attempt to represent things in the real world, the complexity can bring more risk. He assured the court that Chevron agreed with the IPCC approach, posting up a slide pulled from an IPCC report that showed the multicolored paths of literally hundreds of models, using different emission scenarios and essentially describing the best case and worst case and a bunch of in-between cases. It looked like a blast of fireworks emerging from observed average temperature, headed chaotically up and to the right. So here comes the crux of the thing, a question not of whether climate change is real, but whether you can ascribe blame for it. Leaning heavily on more IPCC quotes, Boutros showed slides and statistics saying that climate change is a global problem that doesn't differentially affect the west coast of North America and isn't caused by any one emitter, or even any one source of emissions. Anthropogenic emissions are driven by things like population size, economic activities, lifestyle, energy use, land use patterns, and technology and climate policy, according to the IPCC. The IPCC does not say it's the extraction and production of oil, Boutreau said. It's economic activity that creates the demand for energy and that leads to emissions. If that seems a little bit like the guns-don't-kill-people, people-kill-people of petrochemical capitalism, well, Judge Alsop did start the morning by saying today was a day for science, not politics. So what knives did the representatives of the state of California bring to this oil fight? Here's where style is interesting. California didn't front lawyers. For the science tutorial, the municipalities fronted scientists, people who'd been first authors on chapters in the IPCC reports from which Boutros quoted, and one who'd written a more recent U.S. report and a study of sea level rise in California. They knew their stuff, and could answer all of Judge Alsup's questions, but their presentations were more like science conference fodder than well-designed rhetoric. For example, Miles Allen, leader of the climate research program at the University of Oxford, gave a detailed, densely illustrated talk on the history and science of climate change, but he also ended up in an extended back-and-forth with Alsup about whether Svante Arrhenius's 1896 paper hypothesizing that carbon dioxide in Earth's atmosphere warmed the planet explicitly used the word 
logarithmic. Donald Weebles, an atmospheric scientist at the University of Illinois and co-author of the Nobel Prize-winning 2007 IPCC report, mounted a grim litany of all the effects scientists can see today of climate, but Alsub caught him up asking for specific things he disagreed with Boutros on, a tough game since Boutros was just quoting the IPCC. Then Alsup and Weebles took a detour into naming other renewable power sources besides solar and wind. Nuclear would not put out any CO2, right? We might get some radiation as we drive by, but maybe in retrospect we should have taken a hard look at nuclear? Alsup interrupted. No doubt solar is good where you can use it, but do you really think it could be a substitute for supplying the amount of power America used in the last 30 years? I think solar could be a significant factor of our energy future, Weeble said. I don't think there's any one silver bullet. In part, one might be tempted to put some blame on Alsop here. You might remember him from such trials as Uber versus Waymo, where he asked for a similar tutorial on self-driving car technology, or from Oracle versus Google, a trial for which Alsop taught himself a little of the programming language Java, so he'd understand the case better or from his intercession against the Trump administration's attempt to cancel the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, protecting the immigration status of so-called dreamers. He's kind of quirky and not reluctant to do things kind of outside the box, said Deborah Sivas, director of the Environmental and Natural Resource Law and Policy Program at Stanford Law School, and I think he sees this as a precedent-setting case, as do the lawyers. It's possible, then, to infer that Alsup was doing more than just getting up to speed on climate change on Wednesday. The physics and chemistry are quite literally textbook, and throughout the presentations he often seemed to know more than he was letting on. He challenged chart after chart incisively, and often cut in on history. When Alan brought up Roger Ravel's work showing that oceans couldn't absorb carbon, at least not fast enough to stave off climate change, Alsup interrupted, is it true that Ravel initially thought the ocean would absorb all the excess, and that he came to this buffer theory a little later? Alsop asked. You may know more of this history than I do, Alan said. But on the other hand, some of what the litigators seemed to not know sent the scientists in the back in literal spasms. When Boutros couldn't answer Alsop's questions about the specific causes of early 20th century warming, presumably before the big industrial buildup of the 1950s, Alan and Weebles, sitting just outside the gallery, clenched fists and looked like they were having to keep from shouting out the answer. Later, Alsop acknowledged that he'd watched An Inconvenient Truth to prepare, and Boutros said he had too. All of which makes it hard to tell whether bringing scientists to this table was the right move. And maybe that has been the problem all along. The interface where utterly flexible law and policy moves against the more rigid statistical uncertainties of scientific observation has always been contested space. The practitioners of both arts seem foreign to each other. The cultural mores differ. Maybe that's what this tutorial was meant for. As Sivas says, the facts aren't really in doubt here. Or rather, most of them aren't. And maybe Alsip will use today as a kind of discovery process, a way to crystallize the difference between uncertainty in science and uncertainty under the law. That's what judges do. They decide the credibility of one expert over another, Sivas says. That doesn't mean it's scientific truth. It means it's true as a legal claim. 
If a court attaches culpability for sea level rise in California to petrochemical companies, that might establish causation for a planet's worth of damage. Any disaster someone can plausibly connect to climate change, that's wildfires, drought, more intense hurricanes, attributed to climate, and it could attribute all the way to fossil fuel companies' bank accounts. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.